Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. One thing I also see in the ceremony is as, as God is telling the people how to do things, he's telling them, hey guys, this is how I want to be worshipped. I want you to worship me like this. And God is being very detailed and specific about how he wants to be worshipped. I want you to worship me in this way. I want you to deal with your sins in this way. God is letting them know very detailed and specific how he wants to be worshipped. In everything you do, you can worship God. Everything. Attending church on Sunday morning, singing songs and hearing the word of God preached are essential forms of worship. But God desires much more than just that. Throughout your week, at your job, in your home, in your private time, the posture of your heart and all of those things deeply matters. As Pastor Bill will remind us in today's message, God desires our true worship both inside and outside of the walls of the church. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 4 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. How many of you guys have tried to do better in your walk with the Lord and you came up short ever in your life before? Anybody's ever tried? We've all, we've all come up short. And so this is where the sin offering deals with. The sin offering won't necessarily be an offering that we're looking at to deal with sin that we can be saved. It's dealing with people that are in covenant with God, Israelites that are in covenant. And because sin does bring separation, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a offering where they're, they're wanting to be, they're wanting the communion and fellowship with the Lord to be reconciled. And I've been looking a lot, you know, just in preparation. Leviticus is, I've never taught through Leviticus. This is my first time teaching through it. Um, I've gone through it before, but I've never taught through it. And so I've been just kind of taking my time and going through it and just, just trying to comb through it and see what's, what do we grab for us here now? And one of the things I saw was this. It would be really difficult to appreciate a lot of what the New Testament teaches without this background. If I don't understand the different offerings, if I don't understand the sin offering and uh, what we're going to learn about tonight and what it means, what it meant to that group then, I might miss some of the weightiness of the New Testament teachings uh, when they say things like, behold, speaking of Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We could just say that in a real flippant kind of way. Yeah, Jesus is the Lamb. But for a Jew that understood Leviticus, it's like, well, he's that Lamb. He's that substitutionary lamb. He's that lamb that they would lay their hands on and he would die at the tabernacle door and be sacrificed for them. That's, that's what Jesus is. It would just take it layers deeper in terms of what it would mean for them. It's been said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament has the Old Testament revealed. And so a lot of what we learned in the Old Testament um, it's, 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 we put skin on it in the New Testament. It's, it's, it's revealed. There are three components to the law, civil law, ceremonial law, moral law. We're going to learn about all three throughout Leviticus. But the first seven chapters and all the different things we've been looking at are dealing with the ceremonial law. And so that's something that we might not be real big on. Um, we're not, you know, we're not really in a place where our practice of Christianity or our walk with the Lord mean we don't need to have ceremonies. Um, but this was a people that God had been very specific with them about ceremonies. I want you to do it like that. I want you to wear this outfit. I want you to come in dressed like this and 
put this in that place and sacrifice this there and sprinkle blood over there. And it was very specific because each part of the ceremony had a significant meaning. One thing I also see in the ceremony is as, as God is telling the people how to do things, um, he's telling them, hey, guys, this is how I want to be worshipped. I want you to worship me like this. And God is being very detailed and specific about how he wants to be worshipped. I want you to worship me in this way. I want you to deal with your sins in this way. And God is letting them know very detailed and specific how he wants to be worshipped. Next thing, understanding the these ceremonial offerings and all the things, again, I believe it gives more weight to the things that we look at later on in the New Testament. When I look at a Romans 12, 1, it says we're living sacrifices. Um, that, that doesn't mean as much to me until I looked at the dead sacrifice. When I've looked at Leviticus and I've read through and I've looked at all these dead sacrifices, they were slaughtered, they bled out, they died. And then it says in Romans 12, now you want you to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That's important, too, because each one of these sacrifices had to be holy and acceptable. They had to be perfect, spotless, without blemish. They had to be accepted by a priest. They had to be acceptable before the priest. And God says, now I want you to be like that sacrifice. But I want you to be living, a living sacrifice. I want you to be holy. I want your life to be acceptable to me. And then he says, when you've done that, it's your what? It's your reasonable service. It ain't no big deal. You can't even boast about it. You can't even be proud that you're living a really righteous life. God says, it's your reasonable service. That's just what you ought to be doing after all that I've done for you. And so, but again, I believe those things have deeper meaning when we understand what God has done for us. So everybody look at chapter four of Leviticus. I'm going to read verses uh, one and two. It says, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, if a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord and anything which ought not to be done, and he does them, he does any of them. Verse three, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, let them offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish and a, as a sin offering. So run it back to verse two real quick. First, he says, as he's given them this instruction, it's a specific thing. If you sin unintentionally, anybody here ever sin on accident? Think about it. Sin on accident. I mean, I mean, I know we've all sinned on purpose. I know we've all known. That's next week. Next week, we're going to get beat up. So next week, you come in. We're not we're really going to get built up because God took care of that, too. But next week, we're going to deal with the stuff that you saw the line. and You was like, you look left, you look right. and You just went on anyway. That's, that's next week. That's a presumptuous, self-willed rebellion. And God has answers for that, too. But there are sins where maybe I mean, think about when you first got saved. Um, when I first got saved, there was a period of time that I didn't know yet that some things were a sin. And I was so proud of myself for not doing the few things I was not doing that I thought, I mean, I look back now at the, the first year or so as a Christian. And if you would have asked me then, I thought I was rocking. I thought I was doing great. My walk with the Lord was on. I was like, I was like 100, great in myself. Now, as I look back at that guy, I'm like, was he even saved? Like, I look at some of the stuff I was doing the way I was speaking, um, it was it was questionable. I mean, I was saved, but it, it, it was it was really, really, really green. And as I look back, there was a lot of unintentional sins in that in that period of time. Obviously, the more you learn, the less my sins are the, the less things that I'm able to say. I didn't even know that was a sin. There was a period of time when that worked. But any of y'all that have been saved for a number of years, 
that, that's probably fewer and fewer things that you would say, for real? I, t- I did not know that was a sin. I mean, I, I wouldn't have stole it if I knew that was a sin, you know, but we, we just know certain things already. We know it's a sin. We know it's not right. It's been revealed. So, but an unintentional sin. Um, I didn't, didn't set out in presumption. It might be something that happened, a sin of passion. It might be something I got caught up in the mix of something. And it wasn't that I set out and set my heart to do a certain thing, but maybe I got caught off guard and, and I had a fleshy response. Ooh, I, I, I did not mean to do that. Um, and, and, and we know what that feels like. You know, you have a bad response. Some of y'all, some of y'all are crazy drivers and somebody cuts you off and you be, you know, you throw up the peace sign minus the finger and, you know, some, you know, I'm not, maybe not you guys here, but maybe some of us, you know, I don't know what our, all of our little things are, but when we, man, we didn't set our heart to go do the wrong thing, but we got caught up out there and we messed up and we were shamed of what we did. We look back and say, I, I did not intend to do that, but I sure did do it. This is the problem with that. It, in the same way that these people are in covenant with God, now that sin has fractured the relationship. It's, it needs to be dealt with. In the same way, if you're a married couple, um, if you're married and you get into a, a little tiff with your spouse, y'all are still married, but things aren't sweet. You know, you, what, what has to happen for things to be made sweet again? Probably some some apologies and some forgiveness and, and some restoration of the, the marriage and, and all that kind of stuff. And anybody here that's have a broken relationship with someone, it could be a parent. If they're still your parent. The relationship hasn't changed, but the relationship isn't sweet because there's, there's, there's that fracture in between you guys and, and it's there until it gets dealt with. And so same thing with the Lord. They were his people. They were in covenant with God, but they had to deal with the sin that they could be in communion and sweet fellowship with the Lord. Um, the same is true for you and me. When we sin and we mess up, we need to deal with that. I know that the blood of Jesus cleanses me of all my sins, but the Bible gives instruction to you and me when we sin, when we mess up. First um, John chapter one, verse nine, it's been called the Christian bar of soap. And it's because we get dirty. It's because we mess up. And so first John one, nine says, confess your sins, confess your sins to God. And it says that he'll forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But you bring it to him, you confess it, you let him know, um, God, I messed up. And some people say, well, how come I got to confess it to God and he knows anyway? God wants you to confess it. Um, anybody here that, that makes that a practice where you confess your sins before the Lord, it impacts you to have to tell God, God, I'm, I'm confessing to you right now that when I said that, it was a sin. That when I thought that, that was not right. When I did that thing right there, I'm, I'm confessing it. I'm, I'm saying to God, I agree with you that that behavior right there was a sin. I'm calling it out. God says, when you do that, says that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And so there's a sweetness in that. God says, now as you confessed it, now you got a promise from the word of God that I forgive you and I cleanse you. So what now? Now we're good. Now my relationship with the Lord is, is restored. Fellowship is where it needs to be once again. So there are going to be four groups of people mentioned here in Leviticus. And verse three is the first one. It's the anointed priests when they sin unintentionally. In verse 13, it's going to be the whole congregation. So when the congregation sins against the Lord and verse 22 is going to be when a ruler, uh, one of the people that's over uh, a sect and over a clan of Israelites. And then in verse 27, it's just when the common people do it. And each one, it's a little bit different. There's some similarities, but we'll start at the top. Um, when the priest sins, verse three, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, 
Let him offer to the Lord for the sin which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. So first of all, we, you know, we start with a, a priest. Uh, he's a leader. He's in a high position among the people of God. And God says when the priest, the anointed priest, when he sins this unintentional sin, it's got to be dealt with. Um, I want it to be dealt with. And it's expensive. Um, you'll see that for the different people, they have different offerings that they're able to bring. But for the priest, God says, you're going to bring um, a, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. Um, that would have been a substantial offering. It would have been expensive. It would have been costly. And that was that's what was going to happen for the priest. So we're looking at this now. This is what I thought of earlier. What's that got to do with me? I'm not a priest. But everybody here in some way, you have leadership and you have a sphere of influence. And we're responsible to God for how we manage that sphere of influence. You might not be a priest and it might not be a recognized position of leadership. But most people have somebody around that's looking up at them. Make sure that we, we're good stewards of those opportunities. And so, again, for the priest, they were going to have to make this offering and deal with it. Um, I'm going to read verses all the way down to verse 12. And then I'll go back and explain this offering and, and why they did it the way that they did. But um, look at verse uh, 4 with me. It's in, I'm going to read 4 all the way to verse 12. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his fingers in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar and sweet incense of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take from it all the fat of the bull and of the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails and the fat which that which is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and the, by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys. He shall remove as it was taken from the bull of sacrifice of the peace offering and the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. But the bull's hide and its flesh with his head and legs and entrails and offal, that would be his waist. The whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. So this is the offering that the priest is going to offer up for his sins. It's a bull. Um, a costly offering. He's going to lay his hands on the head. We talked about this when we did the peace offering. And then they're going to kill it at the right there at the door of the tabernacle. Well, as you look at putting the hand on the head, um, there's a picture here for us. We know that God set this pattern in place way back in Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned and they got caught and God found them and they were with the fig leaves on. And after God dealt with them, what did God cover them up with? Animal skin. So animal died. First sacrifice that we have in scripture. An animal died that they could be covered up with these skins uh, in Genesis. And that, that trend was set and it would continue that way. There would be the innocent, the, the blood of the innocent would be shed for the sins of the guilty. And that, that picture would run all the way through Jewish culture and history. And it would walk us all the way up to Jesus Christ. Where once and for all, the blood, the blood of the innocent, Jesus, would be shed for the sins of the guilty, you and I. And so here, 
put their hand on their head. So every Jew, this was just a practice. When you messed up, you had to get this animal and you had to put your hands and you knew that it was your fault, that it was dying. And it was, it was something that would be deeply ingrained in their heart, in their mind. They've seen it. They've experienced the. Like I told you guys last week, literally the blood would be on their hands, the blood of the animal. They got to kill it. And they had to do all these things and offer it to the Lord. And it would provide, um, it would deal with their issue for that moment. Um, it wouldn't deal with it forever. It would deal with it for that moment because the, one of the problems with sin is that we keep on doing it, right? Um, anybody here ever told God, you're never going to do that again? And then you did it again? How soon? Don't answer. Just think about it. Just between you and the Lord. You know, you ain't alone, though. So, you know, how often have we done that? God, I'm sorry. I'm never going to do that again. I, I remember when I first got saved, I, I, I said that so many times about so many things. And then I realized that I, I just need to stop saying that. Like, there, I'm not going to tell God again what I'm not going to do, you know? Because um, I was like, man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a royal failure. I've told God so many times. I promise God I'm never going to. And then you know, when you're doing it again, Satan's like, I thought you said you never, you know, and you're right there again. That was the problem with this, right? They did this thing. They didn't do this once in a while. This wasn't something that happened every once in a while. This was something that happened on a regular basis because they sinned on a regular basis. It was something that was always going to be happening. So um, even though we're Christian and we're born again and we're, we've come to know the Lord, we still sin. We still fall short of his glory. We still do things that we ought not to do. We still mess up. And now we should be, sanctification should be working. We should be, we should sin less. But you're not going to be sinless until you get into heaven. The sin nature will finally be gone. One of the glories of heaven is you won't have a sin nature anymore. You won't want to do the wrong thing when you get to heaven. Um, but until then, you're going to battle with your flesh and you're going to lose sometimes. And God has made a provision for us. And so... So they had to put his hand on the hand and it symbolized the, the transfer of, of guilt um, that would take place. And again, for you and for me, um, if you guys are writing notes, you could write down 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so God says, I made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God in us. And so there's a great exchange that takes place between the believer and Jesus that our sins go unto him and he pays, on, he pays for them on the cross. And in his perfect righteousness is applied to us and we go free. That's what he has done for us. As we move it down the, in verses five through seven, it talks about the blood. They were taking the blood and they were anointing it. They were spreading it out. They were putting blood over, over all, all throughout the the. The area said the priests are going to dip his finger in blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest will put some of the blood on the horns of the altar and the sweet incense. And it's going all around. What does the blood do? What does the blood of Christ do for you and me? It's a cleansing agent, right? Now, you know, typically think of blood as a cleansing agent. Blood is messy. If you get blood on your clothes, you got a hard time getting blood out of your clothes. You know, it's a, it's a difficult thing to, to clean out. But in Scripture... God is saying, no, it's the blood of Christ. It cleanses you. That's, that's what the blood of Christ does for you and I. Um, once again, if you're writing notes, you can write down 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And then the next part. 
And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us of all of our sins. First John 1, 7, that's what Christ does for us. His blood cleanses us from all of our sins. And then in verses 8 through 12, they had to take the leftover parts of the animal outside. Well, there's now in verses 8 through 12, there's the part of the sacrifice that God says, this part has to go outside. It, it's got to go out of the, the tabernacle. It's got to go out. It, it can't be brought in. It would be the hide of the animal. Um, some of the other non-edible parts that were on it. Um, it I, I'm going to read it again from verse 8. He sh- after he takes the fat of the, the bull for the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails, the kidneys, and, and they remove all those parts. Um, verse 11 says, but the bull's hide and its and all of its flesh with its head and the legs and the entrails and the offal. And the offal, again, would be the, the waste from the animal. All of that yucky junk is going to be carried outside. The whole bull shall, be, shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out and it shall be burned. And I just thought it was interesting as you look at this one part where God said, this part has got to be taken out and burned. It can't come in to my presence. It can't come on the inside. It's going to be taken out and burned. There is an aspect of who God is. There's some things that God can't have in his presence. Everybody knows there's some things that God won't put up with, right? God is absolutely holy. And there's some things that God says, this is not going to be accepted in my presence. I won't deal with it. I won't have it in my presence. One thing that God can't have in his presence is sin. Can't have it. He's too holy. Sin can't come before him. It can't be in his presence. That's how come... I mean, that's why it's so significant that we, we understand what Christ did for us, right? Everybody here, we've already admitted that we've sinned. Everybody here missed except for one, um, you know, <laughs> but we, we all missed the mark. We all sinned. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all don't make it. We all are not holy enough in and of ourselves to stand before God. And it's where the blood of Christ becomes so significant because though we don't measure up ourselves, right? Though we're not good enough, though we're not sinless, though we're not perfect, we're going to stand before a holy God one day and be acceptable in his sight because of what Christ has done. That should humble you. It should, it should melt our hearts. I think that should be the thing that motivates our willingness to serve the Lord and just to love God and to worship him. Like, man, God, one day, right now I have access because of you. I don't even deserve that grace, mercy. But just to know that one day I get to be with God. I don't deserve it. But I want it so bad. My soul, I want that so bad to be with God. And I'm going to get it because of what Jesus has done for me. I don't see where there could be any room for pride in that. I don't see where there can be any room for self-righteousness in that. I think believers that understand the gospel rightly would be really thankful, worshiping, humble people. So thankful what God has done for us. So excited for what he purchased for us. We're going to get to be in his presence. A real sweet reference. I want to just read you this real quick out of, out of Jude. It's in the, the little benediction of Jude, but it says in verse in Jude 24, because it's only one chapter, so it's verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. But did you hear that in verse 24? Now unto him who's able to present you faultless. That should just blow you away. 
I'm going to be presented faultless. And I know I got faults, but I'm going to get to be before God one day faultless because of Jesus. That's all we have time for today on The Transforming Word. But we're so glad you joined us for today's teaching on Pastor Bill. As we continue learning from the book of Leviticus together, our prayer is that you begin to understand where you come from. Knowing your roots is so important to understanding your faith and the heart of God. You may think all the rules within the Bible are outdated or just plain don't make sense, but they were there for a reason. They weren't there to punish, but rather to guide. And who doesn't need a little guidance from time to time? We hope you continue to learn more from the book of Leviticus and encourage you to read on on your own. If you're interested in hearing additional teachings from Pastor Bill, you'll find them on our website, CalvaryInglewood.org. If you live in or near the Inglewood area, we'd love to meet you and invite you to join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at CalvaryInglewood.org. You'll even find links to stream our services if you're unable to be with us in person, and you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is CalvaryInglewood.org. As we come to the end of our time with you today, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience. Would you join us in praying for others who are tuning in and possibly hearing about Jesus for the first time? Please pray that their hearts will be open to the truth that changes lives. Thanks for praying, and thanks for joining us on A Transforming Word.